Hey there, I'm Andrew Poulton, Head of Sales at Systems by Design, and I'm really glad that you've shown interest in our five do not pass goes sales training resource. After all, this is a resource that is designed to help you minimize 90% or more of all of your high ticket fitness sales objections, and it pays particular focus on minimizing the big three, which is I need to think about it, it's too expensive, and I have to ask my partner. Once these objections occur, particularly after you've given the price, it's really a lot harder to actually get past them than if you've already kind of handled them upstream. So basically, this is a this is a resource that is teaching you our best prevention tactics, which are going to help you close in less time and far more effectively with higher conversion rates. And all that's going to lead to more profit, more efficiency of time, and more enjoyment in your calls. Make sure that you Watch the resource a couple of times so you really understand it, input it into your own process, and you're going to be noticing improved conversions and more sales enjoyment very, very shortly. Thanks. All right, guys, I have an amazing presentation today, or at least I think it's amazing, about the five do not pass goes of our high ticket online fitness sales script. And really what this comes down to is how you can avoid about 90% of the objections that you may face on a sales call by handling them upstream in the call. So handling them before basically it's time to give the price. It's a lot easier handling any objections in a sales call before the price is given. So if you look to the right here, <laughs> you've got Luke and he's saying, Obi-Wan, I'm here to learn how to handle objections. Give me all your secrets. And Obi-Wan, the master is saying, Luke, you must first learn how to prevent the objections. Then you won't have to handle them. And this just makes a lot of sense. You know, everyone always wants the magic words or the secrets to handle objections. What to say, you know, what is that amazing one-liner? It's really foolish. You know, think of it this way. Would you rather start searching for the right surgeon, the right heart surgeon at a young age, just in case you ever had a heart attack? Or is it better for you just to learn and practice a healthy lifestyle throughout so that hopefully you can avoid ever having a heart attack and needing that surgeon? Of course, as we know, prevention is usually always better. So what we've found after hundreds of sales calls every single week, we've done thousands of sales calls since we started Hypothyroid Body Transformation. Um, many of these calls have been unsuccessful, by the way. We've discovered five specific sections of our script that if they're handled poorly, lead to an almost certain sales fail. And it was actually my brother, Bobby, who first kind of decided that a great name for this sequence would be the five do not pass ghosts, which I think makes it very memorable. By managing these five sections correctly, you will avoid the vast majority of unnecessary objections, which occur after you've given the price. I don't know why it says this lesson. I'll get rid of that later. Uh, this will be a game changer for your sales game. So let's get ready. So this is Gandalf here saying, you shall not pass. And really, that's how I want you to think about it when it comes to each of these sections of the script. So these are the five do not pass goes. And they are, what have they tried before? And then also, why hasn't that worked? So we asked this in the script fairly early on. It's in the discovery phase. 
Then there's the why do they need to do this, which this is the why section. I still believe this is by far the most important part of the script. Three, what is the cost if they don't solve this, otherwise known as the cost of inaction in the sales game? Four, can they do this on their own or do they need help? You know, it's really important that they need help if they're going to actually consider paying for your services. And five, are there underlying fears that must be identified and addressed before discussing the price? In other words, are they conflict avoiding? So let's unpack these. So number one, what have they tried before and why hasn't it worked? It's, it's really imperative, guys, that if the prospect has tried other diets or methods for losing weight before, that they're discredited as a viable option before we move on from this section of the call. And it's really important that they come, the prospect, that they come to this conclusion because of your questions rather than you simply telling them. We can't just assumptively tell them, hey, look, keto sucks, paleo sucks. They may agree to that, but it doesn't mean that they really completely agree. They may just be agreeable for the sake of avoiding conflict. And it also doesn't trigger the cognitive dissonance principle, which down the bottom you can see I've talked about. I'm going to discuss this in more detail soon. So first of all, eliminating the competition, we have this sequence in the script, which if you've done the earlier trainings, you'll know this. Have you tried any formal exercise and nutrition programs previously to fix this? And they'll tell us, usually I've done keto, paleo, I've done Jenny Craig, I've done Weight Watchers, whatever, you know. Now, when they say that, we don't want to be negative. We don't want to talk shit about those other programs and say that they suck. That is bad. That sells you. It makes them think that you're just like everybody else out there trying to sell something. So when they say that, we say, oh, great, cool. Now, how did how did uh, Jenny Craig work out for you? And they say, yeah, it was, it was good. It was bad. If they say it was bad, that's okay. You know, if they say it was good, though, the typical reaction here of a salesperson is to say, oh, um, oh really? Like, and then they start getting defensive. You need to just be positive and say, oh, amazing. You know, um, so, you know, how much weight did you lose or something like that? And they'll usually give you the information. Are you still following that now, by the way? And of course, the answer has to be no. Otherwise, why would they be on the phone to you? It just doesn't make any sense. So of course, we act. We imply that we're expecting, yeah, that they are doing it now, which doesn't make any sense. And of course, they'll say, oh, well, no, I'm not. Why not? This is usually where they will <coughs> give you all the negatives of that program. They're going to discredit it and say, well, you know, it just got a little bit too hard to follow. It became unsustainable. I found that it was hard to do when I went overseas with my family. Saturday nights, we like to do family dinner night. You know, it was really expensive having those meals shipped to my house just for me. I've got a large family here. I got sick of eating meals that the rest of my family weren't having to have. It felt, you know, antisocial. These are all the types of things. So basically, when they say that you can, if necessary, you can say, did, like, did the program feel something like you could potentially follow for the rest of your life. Now, when we ask these questions with the right tonality, they work very well to help the prospect see that what they've tried before can't provide them with a long-term solution. Otherwise, they wouldn't be on the call with you now. So, of course, they're going to say uh, no. If they say that one of the past programs did feel like something that they could follow for the rest of their life, you've got to solve this before moving on. Do not pass go. Keep in mind that they've already stopped this other plan previously and they're on the call with you today. So it's not logical that it was a viable option. Otherwise, you wouldn't have booked this call. Uh, they wouldn't have booked the call in with you. So basically, 
We just need to get inquisitive and ask them questions to have them clarify that. And I'm not going to go into detail on that now. This presentation would go for like three hours. But, you know, if you do have any more questions about that, you can ask me in Slack. So what's the cognitive dissonance principle? The cognitive dissonance principle is what, what, what cognitive dissonance is, is when we feel mental discomfort because of our own actions, thoughts or behaviors being at odds with one another. So it's, it's basically like we're contradicting ourselves. Um, we must avoid telling their prospect that their previous programs suck because it won't trigger the cognitive dissonance principle to the same degree. If we tell them something and they're agreeable, later on it's not that hard for them to go back on that and to disagree. If they tell us, right, as it says here, we've got to be clever and ask them questions in a way so that they tell us why the plan sucked, why it wasn't, you know, suitable long term. And that means that at the end of the call, if they decide that your program is maybe a little bit more expensive than they'd bargain for, they, they really can't just fall back on Weight Watchers or on Jenny Craig or on Paleo or on Keto because they've already committed to the fact that that plan wasn't a viable and sustainable solution. So you've eliminated or they've eliminated due to your clever questions, pre, uh, you know, previous programs they've tried, effectively your competition. So that one there is really essential. Don't move on until you've done that. Number two is why do they need this? We've already covered the importance of um, uncovering strong whys, but I just want to recap briefly because this one has been covered well and truly in other presentations in more detail. But the prospect must have powerful motivators for wanting to or needing to change from where they are now. And without these powerful reasons, you absolutely will not have a sale. This is the most important part of the script. I say it all the time. Whenever we get novice or rookie salespeople coming in and not doing so well at conversions, this is the biggest place where you can pick up quick wins is doing a better job of this section. Don't let yourself be derailed. Don't settle for defensive or dismissive answers. And you must be willing to take time out of the conversation and dig deeper if necessary. Don't move on with your call and progress through the script unless you have uncovered $2,000 to $3,000 reasons for making a change. I might add just before we move on from here that you've probably seen this as well, but the way I like questions to be asked in the why is that they are short, clipped, vague questions. Don't be assumptive and long-winded. Don't say, oh, okay, so you mentioned health. Is that because of, you know, a familial history of heart disease or diabetes or because of, you know, you've got a sore back or anything like that? That's a long-winded question that's really going to give you less information in return. We just want to say, okay, so you mentioned health. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Could you expand on that a little bit? Can you tell me a bit more information? Would it be okay if you just tell me a bit more about that so I understand where you're coming from? Those kind of things that are vague and that put the emphasis, the, sh the shift towards them to actually give us more info, very, very important. So just keep that in mind here. Do not move on from this section if you don't have two or $3,000 reasons or you're just wasting your time. Three, what is the cost of not making a change? As a as is often known in the industry, the term here is the cost of inaction. So important, and a lot of people get this wrong. By the way, this section is always more difficult if you haven't done a good job of the why, because if your motivators in the why section aren't strong, then it's very hard for them to understand the cost of not moving forward. The prospect must vividly imagine the consequences of not acting. What happens if they stay the same? What happens if things get worse? What would it look like for them? How would that impact the quality of their life? How would it impact their family potentially, right? So let's say, for example, someone has sore knees 
you've gone deep. You've found out that they're literally considering getting a double knee replacement. In fact, they may have to get it. They're terrified of getting the surgery. They've heard that it's extremely painful. The recovery takes six months. They'll have to take some time out from work. And they're only 40 at the moment, which means they may have to get a second surgery and their knees could be kaput by the time they're 60, right? They're terrified of the fact that that's going to make them completely dependent as an elderly person. And that's going to put a you know, a weight on their family that they're just not prepared to make. So for them, losing weight is essential so that they can reduce that impact on their family, right? They don't have to become, sorry, dependent and immobile when they're older and constantly in pain, and they can avoid having a scary and potentially dangerous surgery uh, that's going to be very painful in recovery, right? In that case, like what happens if things get worse like well i mean i might i might literally be in a wheelchair by the time i'm 60 right that would be an example of the cost of inaction what's more powerful than that i mean if you can spend two thousand or three thousand dollars to avoid being in a wheelchair from the age of 60 especially if you're considering that it's highly likely you'll live to 80 85 these days who would want to spend 20 to 25 years in a wheelchair if they could avoid it now this is just an example but you see where i'm coming from saying i want to lose weight to get healthy means nothing that reason there, and then really solidifying that with a strong cost of inaction. It's very powerful. But be aware, because it's also very normal for prospects to feel that this question about the cost of inaction is negative. They don't like it. It makes them uncomfortable. So they'll often answer with false optimism or denial. If they say something like, oh, don't worry, I'm definitely going to fix this, That's false optimism, and it's not grounded in reality because they've been struggling with this problem. The information you've already gathered further upstream in the call should show that this is potentially very illogical. They're lying to themselves to feel more comfortable about the the situation. Um, You know, this is basically the definition of just sticking your head in the sand and pretending that everything's all rosy on the outside. False optimism and denial ruin sales. So if the prospect belittles their problem by acting as if they can solve it on their own, false optimism it diminishes the value of what you have to offer them, right? Because they're kind of pretending like it's, everything's going to be fine. And that's just, that's just naive. And, you know, obviously to make change, we have to, we have to implement change, right? It doesn't just happen. If they stick their head in the sand and say, well, I don't even want to think about it, you know, that's that's denial. That's denying that things are going to get bad in the first place. And, you know, that negates the need to act because they aren't willing to get clear about the consequences. So sometimes people pretend that everything's all well and good, false optimism. Other times people just pretend that everything's going to get better without doing anything. And that's denial, right? I don't want to think about that. It makes me feel sick. So I'm just not going to. So the same as someone who smokes a pack a day knowing that it's probably going to give them lung cancer, but they don't care about it in the moment. They just don't worry about it. They'll think about it later and then it's too late. So what we need to do is two things. Number one is acknowledge what they've said in a positive light so that they don't become defensive. And two, help them understand the value of examining failure as a genuine possibility. So example, well, it's great that you're feeling so positive about this. Hey, would it be okay if I provide a little bit more context as to why exactly I asked you that question. And this is going to build intrigue and pull them right in. So research shows that we're far more motivated by moving away from pain than moving towards pleasure. We don't always like taking the time to really examine vividly what failure could look like or or feel like for us because 
you know, it, it feels like we're being negative and it, and it makes us uncomfortable. But, you know, it turns out that getting clear about what failure would be like or what it would look like for you, how it would impact your life, that's the most powerful thing that we can possibly do to make certain that we succeed. Does that make sense? And when you say that, like, this just floors people and they're like, yeah, it does, I guess. You know, so all of a sudden that false optimism or that denying, like that denial of, of the potential consequences, they force themselves to realize that, hey, this isn't a negative thing. We're actually getting them to do this for a positive reason. This negative consequence, it's only theoretical at the moment. And they, by imagining that vividly, they can make sure that it never occurs. So after they say, yes, it's, you know, okay, great. So what would it be like if things did stay the same or, you know, or if even if they got worse for the next two, five or even 10 years, right? So we just loop back to the question. Now they've got that context and they tend to fall into line really nicely. So, you know, that's a way you can solve it. Check your own emotional disruption here as well. I find a lot of the time, this is probably one of the do not pass goes that people are the most soft with because a lot of the time people do become initially defensive. They don't like you asking that question. So if you haven't given them context, sometimes even if you give context, they can be a little bit difficult. So if you're challenging people on this section and it makes you feel uncomfortable, you just need to get over it. You need to understand that your own conflict avoidance in a case like this is having a really detrimental impact on your closing percentages. And it's also helping uh, it's reducing, sorry, your ability to help more people in your program. If you sell less people, you help less people. Obviously, you make less money, but there's a real negative for the prospect as well. All you have to do is stay calm and explain the context of why it's important for them to consider the cost of inaction. Remember, it's for their benefit. All right, number four is, can they do this on their own? And this one's a fairly quick one. If the prospect thinks that they can succeed without help, i.e. false optimism again, why would they consider paying for your services or product? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I'm not going to give someone $3,000 for something that I know I could do on my own. Not unless I figure that, like, it's a real, like, it's going to be a real bore like to do it. But, I mean, in a case like this, we're talking about food anyway, right? So if they think they can solve this, they're not going to pay you. We must solve this section of the script and get them to acknowledge that they know they need help before we proceed to the pitch of our three core principles. So in this part, really tonality and inflection and cadence here can be used massively to your advantage to make sure that we get the answer that we want most of the time. And I love training people on this because it's such a simple change that makes such a big difference. So if you use inflection and particularly cadence in the right way in this part, it is amazing. So upward inflection tends to, it tends to indicate uncertainty and questioning. Um, a downward inflection tends to indicate more confidence. I'm going to give you an example of this just now. So in the part where it says, based on what we've discussed so far today, do you believe you can do this? Do you believe you can do this on your own? On your own? Like I go up. So that, that indicates, hmm, are you sure? An upward inflection creates a sense of disbelief, uncertainty. Use downward inflection and slow down your cadence on the part where we ask, or do you know that you need some help? A downward inflection and a slower cadence conveys certainty to the buyer so that they're more likely to be agreeable to this part of the question and answer, yes, I need help. So sometimes what happens is you get to this section and the salesperson actually confuses the buyer. They're not sure what you want them to say. So they kind of often 
false optimism and they say, uh, yeah, I think I can do it on my own. And it, you know, and it can make it very uncomfortable for salespeople who don't know what they're doing. So just to recap on this, like, you know, based on what we've discussed so far today, do you believe that you can do this on your own or do you know that you need some help? Now, if you do it like that, I promise you 90% of the time, people are going to give you the answer that you want. I need some help. Troubleshooting though, well, what if the prospect still answers that they think they can do it on their own? Don't worry about it. It's usually just them kind of not really being clear about the consequences and falling back to that false optimism. So as always, questioning here is usually the key. Stay cool and say, okay, cool. Hey, I'm glad you're feeling really positive about this. And, and, and tell me, you know, notice how I stutter here as well, because this makes me feel very non-aggressive. Uh, you know, did you mean that you can lose the weight on your own or, or did you mean that you can keep it off sustainably for the rest of your life? And once again, I slow that part down again. I inflect up when I say lose the weight on your own or, or, or did you mean that you can keep it off sustainably for the rest of your life, right? So once again, I kind of give them the hint as to what I think is is kind of where I'm going. And so when I say that, they'll tell, oh, uh, yeah, okay, I guess I did mean just lose the weight. Okay, so based on that then, do you think in terms of being able to keep the weight off and find a sustainable, enjoyable solution, do you think that's something that you may need some help with? Yes, I think I do need some help with that. Okay, that's now been solved. You can move on, right? Number five, are there any underlying fears that need to be uncovered and sold? Now, this is a rather complex part, or at least it's a long-winded part. So there's quite a few slides on this. Let's do it. Often prospects will keep their fears and doubts about the program to themselves until the last possible minute. And it's typically after you've already given them the price. And this occurs because of that pesky conflict avoidance. Again, conflict avoidance ruins sales and conversions. Fear-based objections are so much harder to solve after you've given the price because then they can be hidden behind price objections which you often use to scapegoat. So we always say this, your most common objections are going to be price, ask the partner and need to think about it. And all three of those can be relevant, but far more often than not, probably at least 75% of the time when those objections come up, they are not genuine. They may have a part to play, but the main reason they are so strong and relevant is because the prospect isn't even sure that this is the right program for them. They're not even sure that they'll be successful on it. They're not even sure that they want to do it. They're not even sure if they like you or if they trust you. So those are excuses that make sense because they don't have to offend you by telling you that they're not sure about your program, but they can be avoided far more often than not by handling their fears in advance so they feel more excited and confident about the program from the get-go. So we want to solve these fears, understand them, uncover them, I should say, understand them and solve them before we get to price. <coughs> okay, conflict avoidance. It's completely normal for people to avoid conflict, by the way. It's not rude, it's just normal behavior. So when you tell them about the program and ask them what they think, they will often just pander to you or be agreeable, say it all sounds good, but secretly on the inside, their doubts and concerns, they are mounting and they're there and they are blocking your sale potentially down the line. It's extremely damaging to your chances of making a sale. If they lie and say that everything sounds great before the price is given, those fears will certainly come out later at the worst possible time. And that's because we avoid conflict, but at a certain point in time, the conflict of having to pay you 
for a program that they don't really believe in, that is going to outweigh the conflict of worrying about insulting you or being awkward. So they will avoid it until they have to. When they're backed into a corner at the price, then, then they'll have to spit it out. You're in big trouble. Let's go fishing. So as expert salespeople, we have to be skilled at teasing out fear-based objections before we give the price. It's imperative that the prospect doesn't feel as if they're on the witness stand being manipulated into saying things that we can use to trap them. Otherwise, they'll become defensive, evasive, paranoid, and shut down productive conversation. You know, so I want you to think of one of these movies, right? Like a, a full-on, like, you know, stressful law scene where like there's a, a, a witness that's being badgered by the lawyer and they're terrified of saying the wrong thing and having a slip up. That's maybe an exaggerated version about how your prospects feel in this section because they suspect a rat, right? They just think, what is this person saying? Why are they saying things? And are they trying to lead me into a position where I'm kind of backed into a corner? And so because they have that fear potentially, they just close things down. They don't give you much at all. And they become irritated if they think that you are being persistent. So your tonality is crucial here. You've got to sound skeptical, inquisitive, and relaxed so that they don't smell the bait that you're setting for them. When you ask, you know, this is all about tonality. Do, do you think that this could possibly get you to your goal? Inflect upwards so that it sounds uncertain. Stutter so that it sounds unrehearsed. Everything you do needs to imply genuine questions from an inquisitive standpoint and be very aware not to sound suggestive or assumptive or they'll simply answer yes and you're screwed. So if you say, so this could get you to your goal, right? They're going to say, yeah, and it doesn't mean that it's true. It means that they're just bullshitting you and they're giving you the answer that they think you want because they don't want to be awkward, right? So when we, when we add stutters and we inflect upwards, now they feel comfortable to show uncertainty because we've kind of implied it in our question. Hope that makes sense. When yes means no. So when they give their response, only an emphatic yes or another like, you know, an emphatic positive or affirmative answer is acceptable here. If they say, yeah, yeah, I think so. That doesn't count. That's, that's really a polite no or it's conflict avoidance. It's what Chris Voss, who wrote that book, Never Split the Difference, um, he calls it counterfeit yes. It's where people are just lying to you because they feel uncomfortable. It's bullshit. If you suspect a lie, if they say that they're not sure that this could get them to their goals or that they give a counterfeit yes, you've, you've got to call them on it. you just got to do it in a way that isn't seen as aggressive. That doesn't make them feel defensive. Okay, cool. Like, hey, look, I hope you don't mind me saying this, which by the way, that's called a softener, which is designed to make you seem completely non-aggressive and, and, and relaxed, low key. Uh, I, I sensed just a little hesitation there. I just want to, I'm just curious, like what's making you feel uncertain? So the way we ask this, it's very, very low key. It's not going to bother anybody. And what we don't say, and you've got this down the bottom here, notice how we don't ask if they're uncertain. Because if you do that, they're just going to deny it out of conflict avoidance, right? It never goes away. So you have to just say, you have to call them on being conflict avoiding, uh, or sorry, on, on being um, uncertain, and then just say, what's making you feel uncertain? And, and you know, you apologize and say, look, I hope you don't mind me saying this. Um, that way it's so polite and reasonable, no one's going to get bothered, right? If you determine that there are fears, we simply need to discover what they are and then relate them back to the three core principles to solve them. Now, this is why I love the core principles, because they can solve the vast majority of problems. The only ones that they really can't solve are people that are super detail oriented where they just need details. We're going to get to that in just a moment. And there is going to be another more in-depth 
um, presentation about the deliverables, which isn't going to be covered to quite that same level in this topic, in this presentation. And nearly all fears are solved. Um, nearly all fears are solved by related to, this is, this is terrible, but nearly all fears are related to uh, a program that won't work, which is the effective uh, core principles, a program that they won't like or that is too hard to follow long-term, which relates to the enjoyable. By the way, that is the number one. That is the gold standard of the three core principles. If they've done programs before that didn't work, guess what? It means that they didn't enjoy the plan unless they're the type of really detailed personality and the plan wasn't effective. But nine times out of 10, it's that, it, yeah, it worked. I lost some weight. I just couldn't stick to it. And also a program that will lose momentum, that they will lose momentum and drop off. And that comes back to the support, right? Like we understand like it's not easy doing these things. We'll give you the information, but not only that, we'll give you all the support. So when they ask a question or they have a fear, it typically relates back to one of these three things. You just need to find out which ones and why. You gotta be aware or beware of vague questions. If you ask, what's making you feel uncertain? And the prospect will, you know, they often will imply um, or ask a detailed or logic-based question. And these can be really damaging. So here's some examples. Uh, well, I don't really know anything about your program. T to be honest, this sounds no different to what I've already tried before. I guess I don't know what types of foods you're gonna make me eat. Perhaps you can tell me what makes your program better than anything else I've done. What are your qualifications? Any of that kind of stuff. Now, these are tough questions because these come from a position of authority for them. Most salespeople get very nervous at these questions and they basically, you know, like drop their pants and they just give everything, right? So they just go, here's all the deliverables, blah, and they just vomit all this stuff. You'll hear like a five minute spew of information while the person on the other end becomes more and more irritated and less and less impressed by all the supposed value that you're dropping on them. They don't care about the stuff. I promise you that. They care about the result. They don't care. They don't buy logically. They buy emotionally. So don't make the mistake of just dropping deliverables unless, and this is going to be covered more in that other presentation, unless they are that very specific type of personality that will not settle for anything less. And they are the minority, by the way. So what you have to do is win back frame control. You got to beware of these types of statements or implied questions. They're hazardous to your sale. Do not seek to justify your program by blindly dropping the deliverables. It doesn't work. It's kind of like trying to hit the target whilst wearing a blindfold. And you have to take the blindfold off so you can gain clarity. So if you're this guy in the top right here, you've got the bow and arrow or a gun or something like that, and you're standing and shooting at a target, you will not hit the target except by fluke right? Unless you actually know what you're looking at, you're aiming at, where is that target, right? And sometimes you might hit the target with a blindfold on, but it's unlikely, right? And I hear so many times people drop deliverables and they sell the person out of the program. They don't impress them, they unimpress them. So how do you take off the blindfold? Well, these types of questions, these implied or vague questions, demanding questions from the prospect to you, they're dangerous for two key reasons. The first is that they put you, they put the prospect, sorry, in charge and they put you, the salesperson, on the back foot. And you're in a position where now you're kind of scrambling. You've got to justify yourself and the program. And it tends to reduce your authority and leadership. And that's bad because if they're going to consider paying for your help, they need to think of you as a leader. Like think about going into a doctor's office, right? You don't, you're never happy with a doctor if you don't trust them. 
you absolutely have to trust that doctor. Otherwise, you're going to feel completely unsatisfied and unsafe in their care. The second thing is you're answering a question without really understanding why they've asked it. Why or what are they worried about? You're this guy. So you have to flip the script, as Oren Claff says. He's an author, by the way. If you haven't read his book, um, what is it called? Pitch Anything, check it out. He's also got another book called Flip the Script. Um, the best way to gain clarity is to immediately re retake control of the conversation. We can achieve this by asking them, the prospect, a clarifying question, which makes them do the mental heavy lifting again. I love this stuff. If it's best if it's open-ended so that they have to think and give more valuable information. So if you ask them, they've hit you, they're confident, they're feeling great, all of a sudden they're in control. You flip the script and immediately ask them a question back and it totally disrupts their pattern. This info will allow you to gain clarity about what they do and don't want and save you misfiring in the wrong direction. So you have a bullseye. It's important the prospect doesn't feel though that you're avoiding the question. Otherwise they will and may become irritated, uh, paranoid, um, just like pissed off basically. And they feel that you're being a sleazy salesperson. That is a fast way to a failed sale and lowered rapport. Someone feeling like you're selling them and they'll sometimes call you on it as well. That's why we say, hey, look, that's a great question. Just before I answer this for you, and that gives them confidence that the answer is coming by the way. So, you know, great question. Okay, just before I answer this for you, do you mind if I just ask a quick question so I can get a bit more clarity about what specifically you want to know or what's, what your concerns are? Um, now, it's a polite question and they'll basically always give you permission and it also kind of gives them a bit of intrigue. So now they're like, oh, yeah, okay, sure. As soon as you ask your next question, you have control again and you're collecting the information you need to see where that bullseye is. It's also reasonable. It's hard for them to become offended, argumentative and all that kind of good stuff. As I said earlier, you've disrupted their pattern and regained frame control. Disrupting patterns is very important. If you haven't seen the presentation about how to get present, uh, how to get attention, our brains are used to certain responses. And if we feel like something becomes predictable, we tune out. So when somebody is able to disrupt someone's pattern in a positive way, you immediately stand out. And this is going to build a huge amount of trust and belief in you as a leader. So that's another reason why these are so powerful. On sales calls they've been on before, they've probably demanded this information. Someone's kind of feebly given all the deliverables. And they're like, yeah, boring, right? You do it differently, you impress them. So the next step is asking the right question to provide clarity about what they really care about. Here's an example. So well, to be honest, Andrew, like I don't know much about how your program actually works. Like I feel like you haven't really told me anything. So that's an implied question saying what the F basically. Okay, thanks. Well, you know, thanks for letting me know um, the way that you, you know, yeah, you felt that way. Um, hey, just before I fill you in about the specific details of the program, would it be okay if I asked you a quick question just so I can get a little bit clearer about what you want to know exactly? They're going to say, I promise you, uh, yeah, sure. You know, especially if you sound like you kind of like, you know, stutter a little bit there. You don't sound aggressive at all. You don't sound polished. It's important you don't sound polished so they don't smell a rat. Great, thanks. Well, you know, what exactly are you looking for uh, or looking to avoid in a program to feel that it would possibly be a good fit for you? Now, when I say possibly, once again, notice how I'm not certain here. I'm using neutral or, 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 or sort of almost like negative language because I'm, I'm implying doubt here. I'm not sounding like I'm a polished salesperson who's like, hey, try my stuff, you know? 
This is like laid back and casual and I'm open to the fact that we're talking about a possibility here, not a certain thing. So when you say things like that, people's guard and their paranoia tends to go down a lot. Their response will provide you with all the finer details most of the time which you need and what's important to them. So what do they want? What don't they want and why? So often they'll say things like, well, to be honest, like I just, I don't know, like are you going to make me follow a meal plan because I've done that before. I don't like meal plans and I'm not interested, right? Okay, that makes sense. Like, hey, just out of interest, like what about meal plans don't you like? I'm getting more information here. Well, I hate this. I hate that. I want it to be sustainable. Hey, look, I totally get it. What you do is you use these questions to paint the bullseye of the pain that they're looking to avoid or the pleasure that they're looking to go towards. We go to the three core principles to solve these things. And the three core principles, as I said earlier, can solve most of these things. So in a case like the meal plan thing, hey, look, I completely recognize that a meal plan is not something that you want to follow. And remember with our three core principles, the second one is about enjoyment. So yes, we need to find something that's going to work and that's important, but we also need to make sure that we're working with you, you know, using that support, the third principle to find something that really is going to be enjoyable and enjoyable means something that you can realistically manage and follow for the rest of your life. So if you hate meal plans, it doesn't make any sense that we're going to give you that for a 26 week period. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Now I haven't given them a lot of information here, but it sounds like I just hit them. You know, I hit that target right smack bang in the middle. And a lot of the time you won't have to go any more detail than that. So after finding and solving their first run of concerns, ask the question again with lots of doubt again. So, so, you know, given what we've just discussed, um, you know, do you feel now that perhaps this program could possibly help you achieve your goals? If they give an emphatic yes this time, you proceed to the pricing. If not, you just cycle back again, right? Okay, cool. Look, there's still some hesitation there. And this is great because it's really important we get to the bottom of these sort of fears and concerns. So what else there, you know, is it that you're unsure about, you know? Now they're going to give you more information. Find what it is, dig into it, understand it. Awareness is the first step to positive change. Then we start to unpack it. Because talking about these things, you know, I read this from psychological books like emotional intelligence, talking about your fears and concerns already starts to help them dissipate because you process them, especially when you talk about them out loud with somebody else. It's therapeutic for them to talk about them with you. It's a good chance for you to gain rapport because they're talking to you about things that they are genuinely concerned about. So all of this stuff builds trust and leadership and it reduces fear and concern on their part. Okay. The magic of the five do not pass goes. If this is used correctly, guys, this sequence will allow you to demolish the vast majority of the objections that you'll get before price is given. It's going to help you to understand the prospects, fears, and concerns, as well as eliminate other roadblocks to the sale, such as having weak motivators, false optimism, denial, other weight loss alternatives that they've tried before that they may fall back on if they think you're too expensive. All these things, we can eliminate nearly all of these every time. And this will <laughs> snake your sales calls. This will make your sales calls. That's definitely some autocorrect. So much easier and more enjoyable. After all, who doesn't like to win more deals? So guys, thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, I really enjoyed putting this together. It's such a powerful sequence. These five do not pass goes. If you've been using the script and having some problem converting, 
listen to your calls and take real note of these sections. I would first of all, pay the most attention to the why. Second, to the cost of inaction and the fear. And then third, I think are the, um, are going to be the what they've tried before and the can they do this on their own. But all five are vitally important and you must, must, must understand these and get them right. Thanks for listening. Hey!